Welcome to Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Each week, we explore down and dirty ways to stop awfulizing, catastrophizing, going down the rabbit hole, and moving through all the craziness that is happening right now. We're here to create a community of like-minded people as we give you tips, tricks, and techniques for keeping sane in an unhinged world. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Welcome, everybody. This is Scott Grossberg, one of your co-hosts for the podcast, Keeping Your Shit Together in a Stressed World. And happy January 18th, uh, mm-hmm. where we've actually made it into 2021. I'm here with my <laughs> wonderful co-host, Michelle Post. Hey, Michelle. Hi, Scott. Hi, everyone. Uh, everybody is healthy and well in Florida, I take it? Yeah. For yeah, you. We're, we're doing, we had a COVID scare, but uh, testing came back negative, so... That was good. There was just an exposure through Brian's work. Um, But thankfully, we're all good and hanging in there. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that uh, these exposures, we we mentioned it, I mentioned it this last time, the when we first started this show, COVID for most of us, the vast majority of us was something we talked about. Exactly. Now we're experiencing it. I mean, Mm, we've had uh, a couple of our couple of our kids have had it. Some cousins mm-hmm. have had it. Thankfully, mm-hmm. everybody has recovered. Um, mm-hmm. You know, still now we all know somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And- yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, sadly, a couple friends of mine have had relatives who've died. I've had clients who've come in, who've had family members who die. Uh, so it just gets closer and closer. And um Anyway, it's yeah. a wild time, especially with the um, uh, more contagious um, mutation. The, the variants, mm-hmm. um, which, which kind of brings me to something I wanted to mention just at the mm-hmm. beginning here. Mm-hmm. And that is with some of my coaching clients and certainly with family members. Uh, and even today, emails I've been getting uh, mm-hmm. from people I follow mm-hmm. and I'm on their mailing list. Everybody is talking about emotional overwhelm right now. Oh yeah, uh, it's you know we're we're in this now a year essentially mm-hmm. for all for mm-hmm. all intents and purposes we're in this now a year. Yeah, uh, that there is for people in my age group there is no vaccine until at least the middle of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I like to make a joke. I'm letting everybody go first so they can test it before <laughs> I get it. But, I'm but, sort of following it, in that. But but it's 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 almost like God, we're this close, right? Presuming mm-hmm. that the scientists are correct and presuming that the vaccine works, let's just make that as a presumption here. I don't want to argue about that. Sure. But presuming it's that close, it's like being in a race, right? Um, I, I've yeah. actually done uh, a marathon and done training, and you get that close, and you get excited uh, that you're that close. Uh, mile twenty, and and, <laughs> mile t- and then your leg gives out or something mm-hmm. else, and it's like that disappointment. And yeah. I, I wonder, I'm asking you oh, as a therapist, uh-huh. I'm asking you as a therapist, what, what do you do when someone shows up in a session Yeah, and uh, they're just overwhelmed? It's like they're coming to you for a specific problem. They may be coming to you for partner therapy sure. or, or, you know, connection issues and intimacy issues, things like that. But Mm -hmm. you notice that first and foremost, they're just overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Do you have any particular tips and tricks that you do with them? I know I do with the folks I work with that I'm happy to share at the beginning here. Yeah, let's let's share on that. So usually I try to let people do a little bit of venting because we do know just like uh, before, before we got on air, we were talking about Instapot cooking and the yeah. natural release versus the valve release, right? So not just with Instapot, but <laughs> humans need a little bit of release too. So for a certain amount of time, I like there to be a little bit of release. Um, then I usually will point out if someone is appearing ungrounded. I I even try to notice it in myself. And then before talking about what, you know, continuing to talk about what has the person ungrounded, um, we look for how do you get regrounded? And that can be 
uh, airy fairy, like holding on some hematite, which is a very grounding mineral. Or let's talk about what, what gravity does on the show before. I've mentioned weighted blankets, but you can accomplish it by holding a heavy box or several books on your lap while doing some diaphragmatic breathing and feeling the gravity. You can do some visualization where you imagine the soles of your feet kind of truncating down into the earth. So really feeling the gravity, reminding people that we are on this spinning blue planet in the middle of space and yet somehow at least gravity still exists mm -hmm. and you're not going to fly off. So, you know, hey, there are some things even in mother nature that are working to keep us steady, to keep us safe. So why not experience that? And then pulling out from Thich Nhat Hanh's work, you know, what are the gratitude things that you have? Is there fresh air for you to breathe? Is there water for you to drink? Are you safe right now? So here I am, you can see me in my home office. I might look around, I tell the person, look around and five, find five things that are red so that you can get out of your head and ground into the environment around you. Or, you know, are you safe in the here and the now around you? Um, it can, is there anybody pounding on your window right now or knocking at your front door or attacking you personally? Now that's very different if you're out at a rally or a protest. And, and we've talked about that in a previous episode, how to stay safe if you're caught up in a large crowd of people, um, staying on the, on the edges and not being in the front so that you're not involved in any violence that occurs, uh, when you've gone out to do a peaceful protest. So uh, that's very different, but if you're in your own home, how do you get yourself back into, am I safe? Can I reach out to my loved ones? Are they safe? Doing kind of an accountant, accountant assessment of how are the people in my life doing? And that can kind of help you feel regrounded. So those are some of my tips that I try to help someone do. Um, those are actually really uh, really good kind of re as you're going through them they it's kind of re-emphasizing some of the things that I know but I don't do um, yeah I, I actually when I work with clients uh, do a lot of breath work with them mm -hmm. uh, it's it, we I think we all tend to forget that breathing mm -hmm. is what helps us balance and that mm -hmm. more importantly the out and we've done an entire show on this that mm -hmm. the out breath is actually more important that you focus on. And mm -hmm. uh, I love uh, Alan Watts metaphor when he talks about it. When you breathe out, imagine yourself falling into this big, comfortable, fluffy bed. Oh, yeah. And it's like, you know, that it's the out breath. And when your mind wanders, you bring it back. That said, uh, I've actually, uh, over the last week, been doing quite a bit more research on habits and more importantly, mm. bad habits. And a oh. lot of this comes from, I've, I've really uh, kind of been ruminating for lack of a better way, but in a good way, okay. uh, ruminating on the concept of suffering, why people suffer. I don't like to see people suffer. I know Michelle, you don't like that. Mm -hmm. And yet we are in the permission business. Uh, our job is not to go out and heal everybody. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that also, I'm reminded of Milton Erickson, who uh, hypno, hip, hip, a hypnotist, uh, he's kind of like the father grandfather of what we think of as modern hypnotherapy and conversational hypnosis. Uh, he I was, I believe, the first to say, we are not broken. As human beings, we don't need to be fixed. That's not our job is we're, we're not there fixing people. I'm in the change business. I'm in the transformation business. And so one of the things that I love to work on with people, in addition to breath work, and this all came out of this, this research I'm doing on bad habits. I mean, we're talking about everything from bad eating habits to smoking to though the one guy I studied says he's even used this on cocaine is mindfulness and how you can take someone instantly. Like you kind of talked about it a little bit, holding something heavy. You know, one, one of the best integrative techniques that I learned a long time ago uh, from a, a woman by the name of Melissa Tears out of New York was when you're stressed, 
when you're overwhelmed, you can literally take something heavy, something of substance here. I'll take a Rubik's cube for a moment. Uh -huh. um, and by the Ooh. way, it's specifically designed to have substance, right? You it hold it in one hand. It also is solved today, it, Scott. <laughs> I'll fix that. Um, so, so, you know, you take it in one hand and then you intentionally pass it to your left hand. So you're crossing the hemisphere. And then you pass it. Oh to yeah, the other. left brain, right brain, uh, left coordination. brain, right brain. Yes, exactly. EMDR. And so, it's um, it is one of the quickest ways to eliminate overwhelm and stress. It's one of the most the amazing. Does that work with the TV remote? Like when I'm watching the news, I can pass the remote from it does. one it hand does. to the other. <laughs> as long as you're passing that midpoint, right? Um, <laughs> By the way, some of you, if you don't have something substantial in your hand, you can even do it with eye tracking, yeah, moving like, your eyes to the left and to the right mm -hmm. and being mindful of what you're doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and this leads to a whole lot of techniques, including brain spotting and things like that yeah, as an anti-anxiety tool. Mm -hmm. um, the, the fascinating thing about the anti-habit, which I am now extending for folks with working with them uh, on anxiety and the like, but with habits, the interesting study was if you do nothing more than be mindful, if you got a bad habit, let's just say you overeat, let's say you smoke, let's use those two examples. Um, because I, I love it by the way, when I work with folks either with uh, eating or smoking mm -hmm. and you tell them it's uh, a habit, it's a real, it's a bad habit. That's all it is. And they will swear to me that it's an addiction. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to explain to them, it's, it's not an addiction. It's a bad habit. It's mm -hmm. a habit that is working suboptimally for you. Mm -hmm. And I can promise you that it's a habit and prove it to you because if you've ever been on an airplane and you haven't been able to smoke, that's a habit. You get off the plane and you smoke, right? Because your body is telling you, I need to do this thing. Mm. And those habit triggers kick back in. Um, and so you get stressed and overwhelmed when you don't do the bad habit. Same thing with eating. You can go without eating. You can't go without drinking, but you can go water. Uh, you can't go without, you know, you can't go, with, go without eating. Um, and, um, it, and I say all this because... The, it becomes as, as easy, believe it or not, as being mindful of the bad habit, mm. not saying I'm doing something bad, not chastising yourself, not being judgmental, simply being mindful of what you're doing as mm. you do it. Mm -hmm. And then there, you know, there are techniques that I use to anchor some really powerful negative visuals or other sensories on it. Um, you know, I, I used to drink literally a ton of Mountain Dew. Oh, it's horribly, so, such horribly good bad caffeine. for me. Very horribly bad for you, bad but for me. so good when you're in college or grad school. No, we're, we're <laughs> exactly. And I mean, we're talking, I used to drink a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And I was able to, to, personally, I didn't realize I was doing exactly what I'm talking about by being mindful of, I'm lifting up the, the can. I had a really uh, strong horrible visual that I put with it. It's like, mm. what would be the worst thing? What would keep me from drinking this can right now? Okay. I had that visual mm. of where this Mountain Dew was coming from and what had just touched this can. You can come up with your own Whoa. visual. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, and you know, I'm doing this. Oh, I don't want it. No, that's not happening. And according to these studies, if you know, 10 or 15 times of doing this technique, this mindfulness technique, yeah. the habit goes away, provided you're replacing it with something better. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of ties in with some of the things we're going to chat about today in the, in the session mm -hmm. uh, segment mm -hmm. as a, mm -hmm. as a whole is okay, but what's better than this, you know, what's mm -hmm. going to serve mm -hmm. you better. And so uh, I was just curious, I'm looking at the time here, but I was curious, I think both of us are in the same, uh, procedure when we work with folks. It's just, mm -hmm. I've been noticing, and I say this to all our listeners, if you feeling overwhelmed, 
number one, there are people out there like Michelle, like me, who can help you mm -hmm. uh, with your habits. Michelle has a, a professional license. If you need quote therapy, I don't do therapy. I do change work a little bit mm -hmm. different, um, mm -hmm. all looking for the same thing. Uh, but, you know, to get a network of people who can also help you if you're feeling emotionally overwhelmed. I know we're all, we have Zoom fatigue. Yeah. I get it. Sure. You know, I just, I just got done doing a group session with some folks and I had one lady, you know, I'm notorious, right? It's it, for talking too much. And she, <laughs> it was supposed to be a one hour session. We went two hours with this Ooh. group Ooh. and they got their money worth, money's worth, <laughs> right? And uh, I, I went two hours with them. And at the end, the one lady said, I've never sat this long before. I'm glad I did. She said, but I can't do these all day. She said, yeah. it's constantly one Zoom meeting after another. That's true. And yeah. so uh, at, uh, also one, I'll, I'll leave it at this and then we'll move into our discussion today. Physical movement is so good for you in getting grounded and, you know, obviously within your doctor's parameters or whatever mm -hmm. your health mm -hmm. uh, restrictions might or might not be. But move, my goodness. I, I, I got an mm -hmm. exercise bike, an indoor exercise bike that I now have up here oh, in my office. Uh-huh. Um, I'm really impressed with the stuff that's on YouTube. You know, you stick your little phone or your uh, iPad or whatever or on there. Mm -hmm. And I can bicycle through the, the Swiss Alps if I want to. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. And, uh, you know, physical movement, exercise. We've said it before. They're now saying that sitting is the new cigarette. Yes, I've heard that. And I've been and sitting so too think, much with Zoom. And I do think that that is also adding to my clients, at least, overwhelm and their fatigue because it's like we're not moving. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, there's my two cents. Anything you want to add with that before we move into our segment today? I, I just want to shout out to uh, a couple, this is totally different, but for those of you listening who are in the 18 to 22 year range or the 28 to 34 year range, we just saw our stats increase for those two groups of people. And we thank you for tuning in and hope this is valuable time for you. And if you have thoughts about topics you'd like to hear or would like to join our Keeping Your Shit Together community on Facebook, please do or follow us on Instagram or Twitter. So yeah, we'd love to hear by, from you. And by the way, we're starting to see listeners from Japan. So that's kind of cool as well. Yay. Um, <laughs> so so today's, today's segment is, is actually uh, something, Michelle, that you tossed out. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I embraced and very uh, synchronistically, serendipitously, uh, I have been watching uh, the Spanish Princess. I don't know if anybody else has oh, seen it. It's on Stars, okay. And it's it's historical fiction. Let's get let's just start with that. It's not a real show. Oh, like but the, the interesting. <laughs> wait, wait. That's not a documentary. Uh, yes, like no. the crown. Actually, very much like the Crown. Uh, mm -hmm. And so you know the Tudors and all the rest of those shows where there's just enough interest that you watch it. The interesting thing for me is that here we are talking about Henry the Seventh. And the, and the transition from his power to Henry VIII and all the rest of that stuff. And this princess has been sent over by, by her mother, Queen Isabella, from Spain. All of this is true, by the way. Uh, this is historically accurate. Queen Isabella has sent over her, her daughter, her second oldest uh, daughter, uh, to England to help solidify a pact, a treaty, a connection with England in order to protect them from the world and to help each other's coffers. Okay. And there's a big discussion throughout all of this. Uh, I also, by the way, before I tell you what the discussion was, uh, we, uh, we recently here watched uh, not only The Crown, but some of the documentaries about Princess Diana. And throughout all of this, you hear lots of discussions, all of these shows about marrying out of duty. Uh, Love yes. has nothing to do with it. And can you actually learn to love someone? And so that kind of jumped out mm -hmm. in my head with the topic today. And it was a little mm -hmm. bit off, but it's like, mm -hmm. you know, when we talk about when I love you is <laughs> torture, when it feels yeah. like torture. 
What happens when I come to you as a licensed marriage and family therapist? And we'll play a pretend game. I come to you with my spouse. We're having marital issues. And, you know, I, I tell you, I like her, but I just, oh my God, we've been together for a year now. It's 24 seven. Uh, you know, it's that whole familiarity. I, I didn't know this about them. And love feels like torture right now. Mm. Where do, where do we start with something like that? Mm. You know, that's a, a really different direction than I think. Um, I think I need some time to think about that because it's okay. a different direction than what I thought uh, about when I uh, started the topic. So so let's move back to your to, to the direction you wanted to. <laughs> and the only reason I say that is because we were watching the the, the Spanish princess last yeah, night. And it's uh -huh. like, you know, for me, and I got to be honest with, with our listeners, the concept mm -hmm. of I love you feeling like torture is so foreign to me. Mm -hmm. Is uh, it? Well, um, like out of the personal level, I just rewatched uh, Notorious RBG. So I have this group of friends we meet every few weeks and we try to review a film or a TV show and talk about it as, as part of like our self-care and social context. So Notorious RBG and on the basis of sex were on, um, on the list. And one of the statistics thrown out in Notorious RBG, true or not today, I don't know, but it was that um, 12 states view rape within a marriage as legal. So when it, this is not something I've experienced in my client caseload yet, but people will talk about feeling like um, they've entered into a relationship of some sort, marriage or, or otherwise, where the person is abusive in some way and yet feels entitled to hit or control or criticize. And um, outside of a, a marriage situation, the reason why I thought about this title is I usually try to teach people to be really kind to themselves. Like for instance, how often do you tell yourself, I love you or you're beautiful or you're handsome or I see you or I hear you. Or in the case of a, a, a parent, um, you know, and learning discipline in terms of habits, like we talked about, sometimes I'll tell you no and step away from the cigarette. And that's because I love you, not because I said so. Right. So sometimes I'll tell you no, and that's because I love you. And when I teach people that I get some kickback from people like I love you was used as torture. And what I've heard are things like my mom or dad or siblings used to say things like, if you love me, then you will do X, Y and Z or to ah, keep my guilt, love. Guilt. You will do this. Yeah. Guilt right? and shame. Yeah, if you love me, you know, you'd call me more often. <laughs> That's a classic mom mom thing for a lot of people. Or I had a, a client say that her, her single dad often called her selfish at age eight, nine, or 10. So that now that she's a young adult in college, um, and I'm, I'm changing the story a little bit to protect, protect the innocent and to protect the clients. So don't think I talk about my clients in specifics. But... Um, we were talking about maybe I'm a narcissist because I don't like it when my roommate eats my food or when my roommate tells me that I'm being too loud um, or when I need to tell my roommate, like, can you quiet it down? Cause I'm in class on zoom and, or, or I want some alone time. And the person is actually doubting whether or not it's rude or narcissistic or selfish to just have simple, healthy boundaries because I love you was used like torture, right? Like if well, you love kind of, me, the, you'll do this. Th this kind of ties in with actually what I was asking be before, okay. Michelle. And and so, do yeah. we, you know, take it out of this out of the spousal or significant other setting? Mm -hmm. Yep. Do Do you have a personal belief that I, Scott, uh -huh. have an obligation and or duty to love myself? Uh, I don't think you have an obligation or a duty to do anything because I do believe in individual rights. That's kind of growing up in this sort of culture, right. but I think you'll be healthier if you can find ways to be more self-accepting, more self-loving, uh, loving and compassionate, um, radically self-compassionate and radically compassionate to other people. 
And that doesn't involve judgment and crudeness and rudeness and that kind of thing. So narcissistic personalities versus <laughs> versus narcissistic personality mm-hmm. disorders. And they mm-hmm. are not the same thing. No. Um, you know, I, I, I work close. a lot with <laughs> narcissistic personalities in the business world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the biggest superstars out there uh, in whatever profession you want have narcissistic tendencies. Mm-hmm. Um, they are tempered by ethics and values and we'll call it grounding. Uh, mm-hmm. That seems to be the, the catch-all. Mm-hmm. The, the, the thing I'm wondering is, do babies, are babies born with this, I love, I love me, I love my world, I'm massively curious, let me get out there. Mm-hmm. I think they are. I think they are. I think they are. Because otherwise, why would you, if, if you were so selfless that your parents are in the middle of a hosting Thanksgiving dinner and you decide that that's the time that you're going to scream and cry because you haven't been held or paid attention to or changed or fed enough. Like if babies weren't naturally a little, please help me survive, uh, self-centered, they wouldn't know how to cry to get their needs met. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I think, and I, yes, I do. And I think we've all seen the data uh, that, you know, babies who are abandoned, babies mm-hmm. who don't get the connection and the love and mm-hmm. the support and the nurturing shrivel, right? It's mm-hmm. they, they shrivel internally. So the question that I've got for you, mm-hmm. uh, my, my wonderful therapist friend is, <laughs> if, if we know that we are born with the self-love, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the desire and need and want to thrive, the desire and need and want to be loved, the desire and need uh, to fulfill what we don't know at the time, but all mm-hmm. these desires, right? These mm-hmm, innate mm-hmm, wired mm-hmm. desires. Mm-hmm. What the hell happens to us between then and now? Where do we mm-hmm. learn this bad shit that oh. I love you starts to feel like torture? Torture. Well, I mean, you know, it used to be, it was Murray Bowen, who was one of the original family therapists, family systems therapists, who said it takes only six generations to create schizophrenia. Because, you know, now that's never been proven. It's not actually real. But if you think about predisposition genetically, and then modeling, when there's a lot of abuse or neglect in one family of origin, then that child moves into their nuclear family, which is their parent, you know, they choose a partner and they have their own children and they pass down these childhood learnings into the new family. And that child is then, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And if abuse is a regular part of the original family of origin, you learn that to survive means that you either are going to bully or you need to learn how to deal with bullying and get over it. Let me back, let, let, let us back up for, for some listeners, just a, uh, just a tad. And that is, can you unpack the term schizophrenia for me? What, what does that mean? Schizophrenia is a diagnosis in the, um, APA, the diagnostic and statistic manual, which is the large book of all the diagnoses out there. And schizophrenia is not multiple personality disorder, which drives me nuts when people get that wrong. It's not like you have multiple personalities. Schizophrenia is usually the person is seeing and hearing things that are not there. So some psychosis is around that. Usually the ability to communicate ideas through thoughts uh, turns into something like a word salad where words are jumbled together, but not in an actual sentence. Uh, So the person loses touch with reality. There can be aspects, not all schizophrenia involves paranoid schizophrenia, but this idea that the CIA is chasing me or that they want to kill me, you know, so paranoia can be involved in schizophrenia. It's a, so it's a diagnosis that is treatable uh, with medication and therapy. And some people have actually done a really wonderful job with the tools and have learned to cope and live functionally in society um, with schizophrenia. There's even a professor out of Pepperdine University 
who overcame her schizophrenia or has learned to function very well with the right medication and treatment. So it's not necessarily a um, mental death sentence, but it's very debilitating in that you can see and hear things that aren't really there and haven't really happened. So how, how do we, because you know, you had just talked about what I call transgenerational or epigenerational right. transference, of, transference. Of, of all this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and for those of you listening, uh, all you need to do is take a look at, uh, look up transgenerational or epigenerational, and you Absolutely. will be amazed at how those studies have come down and how trauma um, you know, I grew up with a family that came out of Russia and the pogroms. I grew up with a family that came out of the Depression. I grew up with yes. a family that came out of World War II and mm -hmm. all of the meaning that that came with it right. and how that gets passed down and how I grew up listening to it. Right. How, how does that all mm -hmm. translate to, because to, I think this is an important topic, how does that all translate to the topic we're, we brought up today that you wanted to chat about and... How do we make I love you not feel like torture? Um, you know, it's things like, well, I think the first thing is pick your job and your partner and your friends because of who they are, not who you want them to be, right? So if you, not everybody's going to like each other, but if you're picking people and wanting them to change, that's kind of torturous for both of you. So don't do that. <laughs> Be like you can't, one. you know, look, look, you know, it's funny because <laughs> I talk about change work and you talk about therapy and the reality is we're not changing people and nobody right, likes right. change, by the way, right, right. what they like is transformation. Yes. Um, they don't implement all the time, the stuff right. that we share with them, uh, the, but they have these aspirations of doing yeah. that. I have yeah. long said, you know, take your five friends, take yes. your top five friends, make a list of them. Mm-hmm. And that can, that can be your spouse or your significant other, by the way, just take the people you like yeah. and then pick the one who is the least, and I'm going to call it a performer, not in a judgment way, but the one who performs the least. It, to say it another way, find the one that you're always making excuses for. And then tell me if it doesn't bring down everybody else. Mm. Tell me if it doesn't bring you down. And so I've, I've said this before, Michelle, you want to change your life, change your friends. And I mm -hmm. don't mean that like what Michelle is saying. Like, you don't like stay and... with them and ask them to change. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like that, that, that I think probably something you see all the time with marriage counseling, mm -hmm. you know, we, I come in again, hypothetically, I come into you with us, with my spouse and it's, I'm perfect. She needs to change. Right. Right. I, I don't think that's a healthy way to have no way. a, a no partnership. Way. Mm -hmm. Plus, you have to look at, in all honesty, you have to look at water finds its own level, right? So there's a thing in family systems where you don't put up with a chaotic, abusive person if you don't have a susceptibility to that to begin with. Now, I've had some difficult relationships in my life, and I have to tell you that Part of that is I was susceptible to the things that I grew up with in not having the most stability in my home. And so it led me not to see the same kinds of red flags uh, that other people would. Now, this isn't blaming the victim in any way, because I will also tell people that find themselves in a difficult maybe abusive or, or difficult relationship or kind of a torturous situation at work. It's not like you walked into the job interview and they said, Hey, we're going to make you work long hours. We're going to cut your pay. We're going to belittle you. We're never going to give you positive feedback. We're going to give you the hardest situations possible with the littlest amount of training. And then we're going to tell you, you didn't do it right. Like you would never take that job. Right. Or you don't walk into a first date with somebody and they're like, Hey, by the way, uh, are you okay with me punching in you in the face from time to time and uh, stealing your money or, you know, uh, telling you that you're not good enough on a regular basis? Like that never happens on a first date or you'd run away. But the problem I is would that hope that it doesn't happen on any date, but <laughs> <laughs> right. But this, the hard part is if you've been predispositioned to that kind of critical behavior 
at home growing up, then you don't see the warning signs in the same way that somebody grew up in a really loving environment. Yeah, I want to interrupt here because I, again, for some of you, you have no experience with this, and, and we're and I don't sure. want this to be hypothetical. I want to take this and make it real. Michelle yeah. before was talking about you know in her office, look around as a, as a mindfulness technique, look around the office and tell me all the things that are red. Yeah. Well, I love to do that with clients to explain to them exactly what Michelle's doing. Look around your room right now, wherever you are. If you're driving, don't do this. Look around your room right now. Find all the, count all the things that are red. Four, five, if pink is included. I've got about 12 things that are red in my office. Cool. Now tell me how many white things you saw. <laughs> And there, and there, by the way, that's the most blatant way of, of saying this is exact. You're not going to see what you don't focus on. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that great explanation. And here's, here's the thing. So let's say you, you grew up in simple things like, you know, mom or dad says to you, you know, if you'd love me, you'd empty the dishwasher more often, or, or you'd, you'd like help out with your chores or you'd do the chores. Well, those kinds of things are, number one, a fallacy of fairness. If then statements when it comes to love is this idea that if love is fair in a court of law, then everybody knows you're supposed to do this in a loving relationship. No two people ever actually agree on what those things are, except maybe you agree on some of them and that's why you end up in the relationship with. And they're also based off of this idea of shoulds right? Which is another cognitive distortion. So fallacy of fairness and shoulds are two cognitive distortions. And when you're operating under that style of thinking, you are setting yourself or anybody in your life up for failure. Number one, because you might have expectations that are not clear. So in a, in a, a father son relationship, I was working with, um, and father was like, you know, you've been with me your whole life. And I've told you over and over again, not to eat the last thing in the fridge that, <laughs> that, you know, without asking me and blah, blah, blah. And so father is complaining to me and saying, I can't believe he did it again. And like, I've been telling him this for 20 something years and he's back home between jobs and going to grad school and living. And I was like, you know what? He, he now has a 27, 28, 29 year old brain. When was the last time? Oh, I used to tell him at 10 and 12 and said, so, I'm like, that doesn't count. That's a teenage brain. That's a child brain. When, and then I revisited again. We have another session and I'm like, so did you talk to your child about how frustrated you are that he ate the last thing in the fridge? No, nah, I decided not to. And I was like, okay, the next time you bring this up in a session, I'm going to hold you accountable that you have expectations that are frustrating you that are taking up your session time to talk to me about, but you're not willing to specifically talk about them with your child that you're living with. So this, this actually brings up something that <laughs> kind of ran through my brain this morning, which should scare you. Okay. Um, <laughs> how much, you know, when we talk about helping people through the I love you, yeah. feeling like torture face. How yeah. much of the work that you do, do oh. people just need to trust the process? That oh, this, yeah. this isn't a pill that you take and it's gone. That right, this is right. something you work on and in. Right. So I, I would say if you're talking about therapy, like I'm thinking about therapy and I want some shifts in my life, you know, how much, you know, is one session going to change me? No, there's a lot of medications that if you take one time only work temporarily, right? It's not just that medications are a quick fix. Some medications actually need you to take them for every day for a full 30 days before they even have the right level of implication. So, Hey, if you got therapy once a day for 30 days, that should probably make a good impact, but you're probably not going to do that. So I would say, if you're going to do coaching or life coaching or therapy, you want to look at investing in a good 10 sessions minimum, maybe more like 12, then judge whether or not the relationship is working for you and you're moving in the right direction and you want to invest more because personal change is hard. We have hindsight bias. We focus on the negative more than the positive. We have old wounds. 
we have patterns of behavior that have been that way for 40, 50, 60 years, and you want it complete in three sessions, okay? Even a massage that you might pay $100 to $250 with, it's going to help you feel good for a few days. It is not a long-term fix. And, and I, I'll go one step further. First of all, you know, the folks that I work with, we usually at some point have to deal with confirmation bias. Very yeah. much, very, very much like what I just showed you in the room, but it's like, you will see what you believe. Right. You will see. And so a lot of the time is spent getting them to, to answer the question, not what do you want, but what do you choose? Yes. And that's really critical, you know, and, and we, yeah. we've spent a lot of time talking about different techniques and, and tools Right. Uh, like that. Um, and I'm sitting here watching Alicia's car and I completely lost track of uh, <laughs> of where I was going with this. And, uh, I love looking up at the, at the, at the, the so woman on skylight the moon, there. Oh my goodness. Um, I really did lose complete track of, of what I was doing. So I'm going to let you pick it up from here and it'll come okay. back to me. So, so what I meant is like, if you got massage on a regular basis, it may help your muscles. If you got physical therapy on a regular basis over a period of time, if you worked out and developed a routine, if you developed an eating habit that was regular, if you develop good, healthy, psychological wellness principles in your mind, body, soul, spirit, if you believe you have a soul or a spirit, over time, they really do have a positive benefit, but you have to learn the skills and practice them. It's not a quick fix. Don't fool yourself in even thinking surgery is a quick fix or medication is a quick fix. The things that we've fooled ourselves into thinking are a quick fix sometimes need a lot of follow-up or aftercare, or they need a change in your routine to sustain the fix that you just got so that you don't get back there again. You know, those kinds of things. Um, so okay, just, so so, and I do I do remember what I was going to say, and I, I, <laughs> I, I do, and it was real quickly. I, I had uh, some acupuncture. I wanted to see what it was like, and uh, had some acupuncture, and it was the electrified needle ones where yeah. they put the needles in, and then they oh, send yeah. this volt and a little. And I laid I laid down, and I was on my stomach, and they had this thing from the top of my head to the tips of my toes, and I felt nothing. And I'm laying there, oh. and the, the the practitioner kept saying just just lay there let it do its thing and i'm laying there and i'm laying there i'm laying there and nothing's uh, happening I know. and i started actually getting anxious about it uh -huh. because i was now expecting something to happen that wasn't happening yes until about 20 minutes in and then all of a sudden it was like every muscle in my body went oh and it was like you melted <laughs> into the table and i've never uh -huh. experienced anything quite like that again acupuncture is wonderful um and so that's why i was asking you because i think sometimes relationships and the whole concept of i love you mm -hmm. is that we're under this pressure to say i love you so much mm -hmm. we're under pressure to or the shame the blame the guilt whatever right you know, and that, that's why I was asking you for some quick tips or techniques of, yeah. you know, go back to your pressure cooker thing. How how do we let people, how do we take the pressure off of people right, right, so right. that I love you is not a duty and or torture? Right. Okay. So here's my litmus test. I'm going to go back in time. I call it the porch light test. Okay. If the thing you want from your boss, your friend, your parent, your partner is something that you really could find a different solution to rather than nag them over and over again. Maybe you should do that. So here's what I mean. This couple I was working with was on the brink of almost divorcing because she got home after it turned dark and he kept forgetting to turn the porch light on. And so, you know, if you loved me, you'd remember to turn the porch light on and I have to get home and like I stumble over the ground. So at one point I just said, hey, if you get divorced, who's going to turn the porch light on for you? She was like, oh, I guess what I will. What a great line. What uh -huh. a great freaking line. And so then I said, well, you know, if you want him to really do it, it's not his issue. So you're probably going to need to patiently remind him of this or get a motion detector light for your porch. Like, you know, there are other solutions behind, beside thinking this person doesn't love me because they're not remembering to turn the porch light on, especially when maybe 
they come home and it's light out and they keep thinking, oh, I'll get back there to turn the light on. Or maybe they just forget because when it's not our issue, we forget it. It's not as important to us. And it takes a lot of um, time. I don't know. My, my partner, he loves the toilet paper a certain way. And I swear to you, I don't even, I think it's over and, and it doesn't matter to me. So I think it's over you, and I think I'm be, doing it. You, you know why, right? You know why? Oh. Because spiders can't hide under the over the falls. <laughs> they hide under the falls. Go ahead. I don't, I don't know. So, you know, and then he also likes like the knife put in the dishwasher with the sharp side down so that when, you know, so I love him. So I paid attention to that, but I probably mess it up at least a few times just because I'm on automatic pilot and I probably am just going and, and forget. And thankfully he doesn't go into a rage and come like, Michelle, if you love me, you, his attitude is if it annoys me, I'll just fix it myself, you know, and that's a healthy response to these little weird idiosyncrasies that we have at work or among our friends. Like, don't expect someone else to adapt and, and adopt, adopt is the better word, your issue. And likewise, my main thing is if you find yourself saying things like, if you loved me, then this, I really want our listeners to challenge themselves to stop doing that. And instead stay, say like, this matters to me and why, and could you you know, attempt to do this for me. And if the person forgets, remember it's their issue. Don't torture them with your, if you love me, that is going to be the death of any relationship. Like even yeah. at work, if you loved me, you'd pay me more. Really? I don't know. What if there's a budget crisis? What, you know, what if there's something else going on that your company really needs to, to prepare for? Uh, that's not always the case, but I'm just saying, like, don't assume, like, if you valued me, you would do this at work or if you yeah, love most me, of the time, by the way, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. uh, I can tell you that most of the time, this is never personal. This <laughs> is th that we are doing the best we can. Yeah. With all of the resources and all of the needs that are out there, right. uh, I love your porch light test. I got to tell you, I'm going to actually <laughs> start using that myself. Um, and one of the quick tips that I will pass on that ties in with what Michelle is saying, you know, I, I basically am a life hacker, right? I'm I'm somebody that goes yes, in and are. says, when you have suboptimal if-then statements, because that's a computer program. You know, uh -huh. as soon as you said that, it popped in my head. That's an if-then statement. It is that need that needs different coding if it isn't working for you. Mm -hmm. And the the question is, can you can you be self-aware enough to debug the suboptimal programming that's that's going on? Most of the time, we can't, right, or won't, for a variety of of habitual reasons that we've chatted about. I I want to just leave you at least my portion of this with a, a quote that I've said before from one of the people that I got training from with Ho'oponopono, Dr. E. Mm -hmm. Haleakala Luhan. Um, and he was out of Hawaii. He's retired now, but he made this brilliant statement. Did you ever notice when there's a problem, you're there? <laughs> yeah. And if you will use that as part of your if-then deconstruction and debugging, Mm. It's like, where do you fit into that? Because mm -hmm. you got to own some of this too. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Where do you fit in? What are, do you have expectations that have not been stated or negotiated? You know, so what's that saying? I think it's a Buddhist saying that the different disappointment is the difference between expectation and reality. <laughs> and it, like, do you have expectations that you haven't clearly stated that you haven't negotiated through and you're just expecting the other person to deliver based off of your family values, your upbringing, your shoulds, your, you know, rules of engagement, and you haven't negotiated it. You, know, one of the, you need to negotiate those things. And, and as, as someone who helps people negotiate, I mean, that's <laughs> what I do for a living, right? Um, one, one of the things that I can pass on to everybody, it's a quick little tip, and I know we're out of time right now, but a quick little tip, sit down with your partner or your parents or your children, doesn't matter who it is, anybody who you're having an I love you challenge with, anyone where you're having 
this I love you feels like torture situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And presuming you want to make it work and you want to resolve it, imagine sitting down with them and simply asking, what's important for you in our relationship? Now, you can simply do it. What's important for you in a marriage? What's important for you in uh, a parent? What's important for you, you know, in parenting? Um, however it goes, but what's important for you? And then listen to them. Yeah. And then the, the idea here is for it to be a mutual conversation where you get to do the same thing. Great. I hear you. Here's what's important for me. And I, I will say this, that if the two of you listen to the what's important part and each of you start to do the thing that is mentioned, imagine how that changes the whole yeah. I love you context. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I think that's a good place to put a pin in this discussion. And if this has touched you in some way, uh, as you're listening to it, or you have further questions, just reach out to either Scott or myself, um, through our websites. Mine is, uh, postinternationalinc.com and Scott, uh, you can reach me through thinkingmagically.com. And we're on, we're on social media. And if you haven't, if you're listening to us, and we know we've got a large audience out there right now, if you haven't already joined our, our Facebook group, the Keeping Your Blank Together, uh, <laughs> do so because, you know, periodically we'll post some stuff in there and, and you get us, you get better access to us through social media. And that way you don't yeah. lose any of the posts that we might otherwise put on our personal pages because you will see them in the group. Right. So it's uh, the keep, Keeping Your Shit Together Facebook group. Uh, and if you can't find it for whatever reason, yeah, you should be able to just ask Michelle or me and we'll lead mm -hmm. you there. Yeah. All right. With that, we're going to call it a show. Uh, yeah. Again, thank you all for being with us. Uh, we will see you and talk to you next Monday. Uh, and with that, peace. Bye-bye. Bye. You've reached the end of another episode of Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. If you like our show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate our broadcast, and leave a review. The podcast is for general information only and not intended to be legal or mental health advice, nor the formation of a lawyer-client, nor therapist-patient relationship. Stay tuned for our next episode, and thank you for listening.